Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. My name is Doug Wortham, and I have the distinct pleasure of hosting today's show for Tom Lyons. Today, we'll hear from an organization that was just proclaimed a yellow ribbon organization. We'll speak with a neurosurgeon from the Minneapolis VA healthcare system and speak to the command senior enlisted leader of the Minnesota National Guard. But first, it's time for Generally Speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. Memorial Day is often referred to as the unofficial start of summer. More importantly, it is our nation's day to remember the brave men and women who gave their lives to ensure freedom for all Americans. It is easy to lose sight of those sacrifices as we are gathering with family and friends or fishing at the lake. Nevertheless, it is important we take time to reflect on these noble service members. I'm reminded of a memorial at Gettysburg recognizing the first Minnesota's historic sacrifice during our Civil War. On it, the inscription reads, These dead shall not have died in vain. All time is a millennium of their glory. Please join us in this Memorial Day in remembering and honoring the fallen from all branches of our nation's military. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. As I mentioned in the opening, we're going to be speaking to an organization that was just proclaimed a yellow ribbon organization. And joining us now to talk about the Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development, or DEED, and their journey to becoming a yellow ribbon organization is Ray Doha and also Shannon Sprouse. Ray is the director of Veterans Employment Program, and Shannon is a Veterans Employment Representative. Gentlemen, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you, Doug. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, it's great to have you in the uh, studio and talk about uh, your journey to becoming a Yellow Ribbon organization. But before we do that, just like to get to know a little bit about uh, both of you. And, and we'll start with you, Ray. I understand you spent some time in the Navy. So what did your military career look like, and then what led you to DEED? Thank you, Doug. Um, I was a college program in Orlando, Florida. I used to work for Walt Disney World. And uh, after 9-11, I decided to join to serve and uh, answer the call. I joined the United States Navy, and I was stationed in San Diego, California. I was attached to USS Abraham Lincoln. It was a tremendous experience, and I've served uh, in uh, Iraqi freedom and enduring freedom, and a really uh, tremendous experience going through deployments uh, in Southeast Asia. And when I returned from the service uh, in 2008, I joined Department of Employment and Economic Development, uh, which is a, a rewarding career a great organization that supports vets and the military-connected folks. Awesome. Thank you. And, uh, Shannon, I know that you uh, started your career off in the Minnesota National Guard, the Army National Guard, and then spent some time on active duty. So give us a little bit about your uh, military service and then what led you to DEED. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I started uh, three days after I turned 17 years old. I signed up for the Army National Guard here in Minnesota. A few years after that, I decided that I wanted to do more, and I switched to active duty and became a scout. While there, somehow I made it to recruiting command, and for the bulk of my career, I was in recruiting. I retired after 20 years of active duty and two and a half years with the Guard, and now I work for the state as a veterans employment rep. And I I love having the opportunity to connect uh, um, companies with veterans that are looking to to work for companies that appreciate their service. Yeah, that's great. And and it's great to have the conversation with both of you. We'll talk about uh, your journey here, Deeds uh, journey to becoming a yellow ribbon uh, organization. But so Ray, I understand that 
that you do serve on the Yellow Ribbon Action Plan uh, Board or Committee. Uh, there's six members of you, and you kind of review the action plans that organizations or companies put together when they want to become a Yellow Ribbon organization or company. Yes, that's an exciting experience there uh, to serve as a bird, uh, board member, correction. And I, um, still in the idea of becoming Yellow Ribbon for an organization, for a typical company, is is putting together an action plan and showcasing what they do to support veterans, military-connected military folks, and uh, Gold Star families. Indeed, selling the idea of becoming Yellow Ribbon organization was not difficult at all. It was a natural fit uh, for our organization because not only we proudly employ veterans and service members, but we also assist veterans throughout Minnesota in finding stable, family-sustaining employment. And so... Like, what are some of the things, you know, the process that DEED went through, this state agency, to become the Yellow Ribbon Organization? Obviously, you've been on that board. You've seen the action plans. Uh, you you put your action plan together because you were on the 25-member uh, board within DEED to make that happen. Um, and then to become the 82nd, right, the 82nd uh, Yellow Ribbon Organization, um, what are some of the things or the commitments that you as DEED have put together in order to push the program or facilitate the program and, and really provide some success to the program in getting the Yellow Ribbon uh, name or proclamation launched? We came up with an action plan, and uh, let me say but that uh, the action plan was a tremendous exercise because it brought all the teams together from payroll, HR, equal opportunity, senior leadership. We formed a committee uh, to oversee and uh, to develop and oversee the action plan. This is a great exercise not only for DEED or for any company that is aspiring to becoming Yellow Ribbon. Uh, you're putting together uh, the list of things that you already do. No doubt in my mind, many companies out there do a lot for military veterans, uh, service members, and families. They just need to put it on, into an action plan. And then reviewing what are uh, what are other things that the company can do to show commitment to our service members. In, for example, developing policies, procedures to support uh, service members when they deploy and after they come back from deployment, supporting them throughout the de- deployment process is something that's a no-brainer. It helps e- current employees uh, uh, feel welcomed at home and feel that they're supported. It's a great way to retain your employees in any company. Indeed, it's a no-brainer to us because we already do that. It was a matter for a matter for us to get together, put it into an action plan, and submit it to the board for review, which was uh, approved last week. And uh, Shannon, I want to come to you uh, because I understand that Deed has done some things that uh, internally to recognize uh, veteran employees. And um, I'd just like to hear a little bit about what some of those things are and then maybe some of those best practices that you have found for an employer to acknowledge uh, those employees that happen to be veterans. Yeah. So one thing that I really want um, companies to think about is to realize that their military-connected employees are more than just veterans. They are currently serving. They're the spouses or parent or child of a veteran. They could also be a member of a Gold Star family. And if anybody knows what that is, well, the Gold Star family is um, family members that uh, had a a direct family member that passed away um, from their service. So companies can't neglect these people as well. It has to be an all-encompassing military-connected group that they recognize. 
Um, and it's also got to be authentic. It can't be check the block, check the box, you know. Um, and they can do things that they to show appreciation for their employees, such as company leadership can recognize employees that are deploying. They can provide um, a symbol of appreciation when they return from deployment. They can also do something as absolutely simple as recognizing military-connected holidays and days of, of observance like Memorial Day or Veterans Day and beyond that, Armed Forces Day, as an example. Now, these seem like, you know, just no-brainers, right? I mean, um, things that uh, those of us who have served just, I mean, this has been a part of our, our life. And so are there some, like, light bulbs that go on as you're speaking with uh, organizations or companies? They're like, oh, you know what? Um, yeah, we we kind of have been doing that already. Um, or maybe now it's time to put a little bit more focus into it to bring more of a light to it. Yeah, you know, companies instinctively do things for their employees, but they don't always take credit for it. So being able to, you know, as we all know, show your work is a great way for them to be able to understand what they're already doing and where they might be lacking in their recognition and appreciation for their their military-connected employees. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, right? Just show your work. So when you start to having those conversations, um, we know what's happening, start writing it down, and then that leads back into that action plan that uh, here it is, it's documented, we know we're doing it. It just makes the process then, uh, Ray, to becoming a yellow ribbon community organization company that much easier because we're now documented things that we're already doing. Yes, indeed. And uh, by the way, any company aspiring to becoming yellow ribbon, there's a, uh, a process already developed, and we're happy to connect them with Annette Kuyper at Military Affairs. She could do, uh, she could schedule a kickoff meeting to explain the process and put everyone at ease to understanding that it's uh, not as difficult as it might seem. It's actually very rewarding going through that process. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that process looks like here when we come back. And that leads me to this. Uh, we do have to take a short break. Uh, so, Ray, Shannon, please uh, stand by. And uh, the rest of y'all, we will be back. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host today, Doug Wortham, sitting in for Tom Lyons. And in the last segment, we were speaking with Ray Doha and Shannon Sprouse. Ray is the Director of Veterans Employment Program, and Shannon is a Veterans Employment Representative uh, from uh, DEED. And uh, DEED is the Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development. We've been talking about their journey to becoming a yellow ribbon organization. So, gentlemen, um, in this last segment here uh, with you, we want to just talk a little bit more about um, kind of the commitments and the, the processes that you went through uh, within Deed to become that Yellow Ribbon uh, organization. And, and Ray, I want to start with you and talk about how Yellow Ribbon companies, organizations, uh, communities, they, they make commitments in recruiting and hiring veteran employees. Uh, can you tell me or share with us some of those best practices that maybe you have developed to recruit and hire uh, veteran employees? Thanks, Doug. Um, becoming Yellow Ribbon organization or a company is basically um, showing that commitment, as we said, to support uh, the service members. You're sending a strong message about your commitment. Uh, and I want to share a best-kept secret here, uh, which is connecting with our vet staff at DEED and the Career Force. Please, you know, encourage uh, service members and companies uh, to go to our website, careerforcemn.com slash veterans. Please connect with our 
VAT reps. Uh, they're all VATs. They served and they understand deployments. They understand transition. And also they work with companies and, and they're willing to share great value in terms of recruiting, hiring, and retaining veterans. In addition to connecting with VET staff at DEED, at Career Force, uh, connecting with military organizations, uh, attending veteran and military-related re- events is key to be visible, to be out there, so folks can get to know the commitments uh, and also get to learn about the name of the company, what they stand for. In addition, uh, internally for the company, it's important to engage HR, payroll, uh, other folks such as uh, Equal Opportunity and any folks that deal with hiring, sit down and talk about uh, an, a strategy to recruit, hire, and retain veterans. Come up with a plan, an annual plan, and meet and talk about that strategy, which could uh, be translated into the action plan. Because it's one thing to write it down and put it on a piece of paper. It's a totally separate thing to put it into action. And that's why you develop that action plan. So you kind of have that checklist and and follow through and make sure you've got key people that have buy-in and to do the things you're talking about. Um, I'm hearing that that outreach, that networking, that uh, communication throughout the entire organization becomes paramount when you want to make this transition into becoming a yellow ribbon uh, organization. Indeed. And when HR develop a position and they're willing to post it before they post the position, they need to review. Is it military friendly? Uh, is it how is it? Uh, does it translate well to recruiting vets? And also uh, companies always reach out to us to talk about their strategies to hire veterans. And we're able to connect them with a, a pipeline of good fit veterans that are willing to become good, productive members of their company. Uh, Without a good strategy and action plan, oftentimes these recruiting strategies don't work well for the companies and their bottom line takes a a big hit. So it's a no-brainer. Connect with the vet reps. Go to our website. Also connect with military organizations. Talk internally to your folks that deal with recruiting. Be visible and uh, refine your uh, onboarding, your your, uh, position descriptions to make sure they fit the target audience, which is military-connected folks. And I would imagine that when you have these conversations, you put the action plan into motion, you're having the communication throughout the organization, those current employees who happen to be service members or veterans, uh, they now become some of your best advocates or recruiters for additional veterans to come into the organization because they see and feel the care compassion that you have. Indeed. Uh, Internally, your companies, or correction, your employees see that, they understand it, they feel the pride, they feel that they're supported, and uh, they will be able to uh, help promote the idea that this is a great environment for a veteran, family member, a service member. So when you do these things, uh, folks hear about it and they want to be part of it. They want to latch on to a company that does great things for the service members. So we mentioned previously that you are a member or board member of the action plan committee. You review the action plans for organizations, companies that want to become a yellow ribbon uh, member or get that proclamation. So you sit on that uh, beyond Minnesota, beyond the yellow ribbon action plan review board. Can you kind of go into a little bit more detail about really what that process, the community, the company, uh, they have to go through in order to get state approval? Because not just anybody can make it happen. It's not just an action plan written down. There are actual steps and things that you have to go through to become or get approved. And then what are some of those things that um, you see as the biggest benefit to somebody who actually has now become and has gotten that proclamation? 
Thanks, Doug. Becoming a Yellow Ribbon uh, organization or company is a big deal. Um, but we understand that in order to get there, you got to work really uh, diligently and put in good quality effort to achieve that goal. If a company decides to become Yellow Ribbon or if they express interest in becoming Yellow Ribbon, the first thing that we do is connect them with uh, Annette Kuyper at Military Affairs. Uh, the Military Affairs, uh, they have a designed process to make it easy for companies to follow a certain order and steps that they need to achieve the, the goal. Uh, for example, they need to form a committee internally. And there are some steps laid out in the action plan uh or instructions that will be given to the companies. And uh, military affairs, Annette Kuyper in this case, uh, schedules the kickoff meeting to really explain and uh, help understand the steps that needed to be taken in order to become Yellow Ribbon Company. Uh, becoming a Yellow Ribbon Company is a clear demonstration of a company's commitment in supporting vets, service members, and their families. Companies that are Yellow Ribbon do also a uh, – what I'm trying to say is if when you become Yellow Ribbon, it's a proxy for becoming a strong DEI company. Oftentimes when you take care of our vets and service members, you often t take care of other groups within the company. So it's a great way to take care not only of all the groups but also service members within the company. Hope that makes a, a sense. Yeah, and so I want to I want to go back to Shannon because uh, obviously you were on the the board that helped put the action plan in place and, and get the proclamation uh, to come to fruition for deed. Um, when you think about other employers who are considering to become a yellow ribbon company, I mean, what Ray's talking about, some of that seemed kind of daunting, right? I mean, this action plan and these things that I have to hold my committee accountable for, right, to get that proclamation. But what, what kind of advice do you have, uh, Shannon, for a company that's considering or even maybe starting exploring the process right now? Well, first and foremost, um, there has to be buy-in from senior leadership at that company or that organization. Um, they have to be able to make sure that the, the steering committee members are passionate, committed, and focused, and they want to be a part of this, that this, again, isn't a check-the-box type of initiative. Um, we talked about this a couple of times, too, and that's reviewing the stuff that you're already doing within your organization. Um, it's instinctive to help out your employees and to create policies and plans and procedures that, that benefit them. So companies should really take a look, see what uh, practices and policies are currently in place that do positively impact the military-connected employees and take credit for that work. Um, as Ray mentioned, you know, DEI initiatives don't stop when you start this program or start this, this effort. Uh, it, you, you naturally will expand and grow to be able to support so many other populations that need that support within the organization. Um, and finally, you know, recruitment is getting more difficult in Minnesota. Everybody knows that. Every recruiting and recruiter and hiring manager know that. And one of the big reasons is a reduction in workforce. There's less people in the, in the job market right now. So it's just that imperative that companies do whatever they can to set themselves apart and be considered a, uh, an employer of choice. And doing this is a great way to start that. And we have less than, well, just about 30 seconds left. And, and I think one of the big benefits that I've seen, and I'm sure you both have experienced this, is when you open up, you start hiring additional veterans, for example, in an organization, the leadership bar 
gets raised inside that organization and, and what a great way to uh, move the ball forward, if you will, uh, for your organization. Uh, one more time, Ray, real quick, what's the uh, website we can uh, send uh, people to if they're interested in getting more information? Please go to careerforcemn.com slash veterans. Careerforcemn.com slash veterans. Thank you. We'll put that link on our uh, show notes. Uh, Ray Shannon, thanks so much for joining us here today on Minnesota Military Radio. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. In a moment, we're going to speak with a six-time top doctor list winner and neurosurgeon at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now here's Commissioner Larry Herkey. Across generations and across centuries, Americans have answered the call to duty. Many have paid the ultimate price. No greater sacrifice could ever be asked of an individual. The service of these veterans have impacted the life of every single citizen in this great nation. It is for that sacrifice that we salute all of our fallen comrades this Memorial Day. At the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, we can't even begin to contemplate the world today had the men and women we honor on Memorial Day not stood fast against our enemies throughout history. It is never over. Missions may end, but legacies remain, and the pain of their absence endures. We will be hosting an in-person live events at our three state veteran cemeteries this year on Sunday before Memorial Day. For information on Memorial Day events, visit minnesotaveteran.org slash events. I will also be co-hosting the 7 o'clock hour of the special three-hour live edition of the Minnesota Military Radio. The show will air from 6 to 9 a.m. on Memorial Day, Monday, May 30th, on Twin Cities News Talk, a.m. 1130. This Memorial Day, let us remember, all gave some and some gave all. Thank you, Commissioner Herkey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Joining us now is Dr. Uzma Samadani. Dr. Samadani is a neurosurgeon at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System, where she has performed extensive research on brain and spinal cord injury and is known for being a highly technical and innovative surgeon, along with being the six-time top doctor list winner, Dr. Samadani Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you. It is, uh, it's good to have you on the show today, and um, that, that's a, a mouthful. A uh, six-time top doctor, uh, you're a neurosurgeon, you've got extensive research under your belt. That's a lot of stuff, a lot of education. But before we talk about that, I'd like to know just a, kind of a little bit about you. How did you get your start, and then what led you to the VA? Well, I've worked at the VA now. It'll be 15 years in September, so it's more than 14 years. And what has kept me at the VA is the patients. I love the patients. They are polite. They're grateful. They're nice. They're friendly. The staff wants to be there. Uh, I'm very happy at the VA, and so I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. Well, I, um, I'm also a, a patient out at the uh, VA um, obviously in, in Minneapolis, and then I also go to the Shakopee, the new clinic out there. And um, everybody that I've had to deal with is uh, is just great. The staff is always friendly and always smile. And, and of course, it uh, it's great to have a welcoming place like that. Yes. So I, I want to, we want to talk about this new thing uh, that that you are can I say you're an expert in it? Because you are a top doctor, you're obviously the neurosurgeon, but it's this 
percutaneous single position navigated interior posterior spine fusion all that to say it's some type of a new spine fusion surgery going on at the Minneapolis VA healthcare system what is it can you tell us a little bit about that yes i'd, I'd be happy to so basically what it is is when you compare this new procedure to the way we did spine surgery before what makes it new is the first thing is is that the incisions are much, much smaller. It used to be that when we did spine surgery, we had to make a big incision and we had to move muscle out of the way and we had to use what's called a cautery, which meant that we had to cut things apart and then sew them back together. And, you know, there was there was a lot of blood loss associated with that. This is what's called percutaneous fusion, which means that the incisions are much, much smaller. So we're talking about you know, one centimeter or 13 centimeter incisions instead of several inch incisions. And then the the second thing about it is, is that it's single position. So what that means is that we are putting instrumentation into the front of the spine and the back of the spine, all while you're lying in one position. Uh, so that makes the surgery faster. And then we say it's navigated. What that means is that we're using a form of GPS. So just like the GPS on your car or on your phone, we're using that sort of technology to guide our instrumentation placement. So this is something new that sort of developed in the last 15 years or so, but has finally reached the point now where we can do these incredibly technically difficult cases through very small incisions uh, in one position. And what that means for the patient is that sometimes they can go home the same day, uh, that the recovery time is much faster, and that we can achieve many of the same goals of surgery that we used to achieve through big incisions with large blood loss and long hospitalizations through much smaller incisions, less blood loss, and shorter hospitalizations. Well, that sounds like um, a bunch of great benefits as to why somebody would want to have this type of a procedure done versus uh, the the traditional way. I mean, just in the discussion of, well, loss of blood, that tells me that the risk maybe is a, a little bit less as well. Is that true? Correct. Yes. The risks are lower because normally the three things that you worry about with spine surgery are pain, infection, and bleeding. So pain is reduced because the incisions are smaller and we're not cutting through any muscle. Infection risk goes way down because we're not doing a big incision. And little incisions are much less likely to get infected. And then bleeding, obviously, we go from, you know, cases where you have perhaps, um, you know, a liter of blood loss or a half liter of blood loss to, to having extremely minimal blood loss. So you said that the procedure's been around for about 15 years, and I understand that it does take time for it to get... Um, kind of integrated throughout, um, you know, where those types of surgeries are, are performed. How long has this type of procedure been performed inside the VA? So let me clarify a little bit. Navigation has been around for 15 years. Percutaneous minimally invasive spine fusion has only been around for maybe two or three years. But putting it all together so that you can do many different types of things in a very, very seamless way that's very new, and we're we're one of the first hospitals in the entire country that's doing this. So, uh, so yes, the 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 technology's been evolving, I should say, for the last fifteen years, and now it's gotten to the point where we can put things together 
in this way where where it's less invasive. And so how, how does the VA then get that opportunity to be among the first? I mean, I think that's a great credit to the type of organization we have and the leadership inside the Minneapolis VA, because it seems like there's a lot of firsts that the Minneapolis VA is a part of, you know, ranking among the best VAs in the system. But, but how, do, how does that get kind of unfolded and brought to the VAs here in Minneapolis so that can be a procedure here? So, so I've been with the VA for 14 and a half years, and every time I've introduced a new technology, what's happened is is that you go to the leadership and you say, hey, I want to try this, and then you convince them. So with this particular technology, I started with cadavers last summer, I think about July of 2021, and did several procedures in cadavers. I observed other surgeons who were doing this elsewhere in the country doing the procedure, and then we introduced it, and we were very transparent with our patients. I, When I had the very first case, I told the patient, I said, this is the first time we're going to be doing this at the VA. Are you sure we, you want to be the first? And that patient was enthusiastic. And, in fact, all four of the patients that we've done at the VA have been told very clearly that, hey, this is a new procedure. We're going to be trying it. And I have to say I am very grateful to my veteran patients because they have said, look, we trust you. We understand exactly what you're going to do. We understand what the risks are. Uh, the nice thing about this particular procedure is that if at any point during the procedure you feel like it's not conducive to being done in a minimally invasive or a percutaneous way, what you can do is you can open and you can do a conventional surgery. And so we do have that backup available to us, and I think that's really important and reassuring because no one would want to be halfway through a procedure and realize that something wasn't quite exactly how you wanted it to be, and then you don't have a backup plan. Well, so, this sounds like one of the reasons why you are considered one of the top doctors to be able to go through this, bring it to the leadership, and, and convince them that this is the right thing to do for that population that uh, you serve out there, that being our veterans. So we have just over a minute left in this segment. And you said that there were four patients now that have gone through this procedure. What has been the prognosis? How are they doing now? Well, two went home same day. Uh, all four have done extremely well. One of them I just saw back in clinic the other day, and he showed me, he's six weeks out from surgery now, and he showed me his projects that he'd been working on. He's refurbishing a Chevy truck, uh, and he says he's just thankful to have his life back. He's, he's moving. He's doing things. You know, and I asked him, I said, do you want to do physical therapy? He goes, you know, I'm good. He goes, I feel like I can control how I'm, I'm doing, and I'm really happy with that. Oh, so, that's great. So we, wow. We, um, I, I want to, when we come back, I want to talk about, you know, what does this mean for the future uh, for that population that, uh, that you serve inside the VA? Uh, but with that, we do have to take a short break. So please stay with us. This is Minnesota Military Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. We've been speaking with Dr. Uzma Samadani, who's a neurosurgeon out at the Minneapolis VA healthcare system, and talking about this new type of surgery that is being performed out at the Minneapolis VA. Um, doctor, welcome again back onto the program. Tell us again, what is the procedure, and then what does it really mean for the future of spine surgeries? So this is a technique for doing spine decompression and fusion through tiny little incisions that spare muscle and don't cause a lot of blood loss. So the, it reduces 
the length of surgery, the amount of blood loss, the length of hospitalization, and the recovery time. Um, what this means for our veterans is that we can offer them a surgery where they can potentially come in in the morning, have the surgery, go home the same day, and get back to their normal life and their normal level of activity a lot faster uh, than they could with prior types of spine fusion. So it's a, it's a much more efficient system. I think what's going to happen in the future in, in spine surgery is that it's going to be like, remember how when people used to have their gallbladders out in the 1970s, they used to have to make a big incision and stay overnight in the hospital. And now they do it with cameras and tiny little incisions. Well, that's the same thing with spine surgery. It's going to be tiny little incisions and people are going to go home the same day. And yeah. I think that's the future. Definitely a, a game changer. Um, now, is this the procedure? I know that uh, it's being conducted out at or performed out at the Minneapolis VA. Um, are there other hospitals that you know of inside of or, you know, in Minnesota or the region that are performing this as well? Or, or are we a pretty special case that we get to have this type of procedure performed at the Minneapolis VA for our veterans? We are one of the very first in the country. There are a handful of places that are doing it, and we are um, we're one of the earliest in the state and among the earliest in the country. So we're, we're really leaders in this technology. So not just leaders inside the VA healthcare system itself, but in the actual medical community. Yes. Wow, that's great. And again, um, you know, it's here in Minnesota, and, and what a great uh, benefit to have. So we just have a couple of minutes left, and I, I want to know if there are any restrictions or if uh, there's a specific um, type of, of injury or problem that this can uh, help to fix or, or cure or, or, or make better? Um, or is it open to anybody? If you have some type of a, a spinal or a, a fusion need, anybody can go in and, and have this procedure? Not everybody would benefit from percutaneous spine fusion. Basically, it's a case-by-case basis. If someone has compression on their nerve roots, that can't be relieved with a minimally invasive procedure, then we have to do a conventional procedure. And it's, it's just a matter of looking at the films, looking at the patient, and doing what's right in each individual case. And that's part of, um, you know, obviously the whole package. Um, I'm having these issues with my spine, uh, with, with my neck. Uh, the evaluation process will determine, you know, what are the first steps. We don't jump right to or you won't jump right to surgery, there might be physical therapy involved first, and then you kind of go through the steps, and this is the thing that you would like to be able to do before you actually have to do the old um, classic type of surgery that uh, we talked about previously? No, this is instead of. So this would be instead of classic conventional surgery, but not every person is a candidate for it. So some people will need to have classic open surgery at this point, and others can get away with a percutaneous, uh, smaller, minimally invasive procedure. Well, again, um, I said it before, but what a game changer. And, and we're so proud to have uh, doctors like you, one of the top doctors, a uh, six-time do- top doctor, so a proven fact, uh, right here in our Minneapolis VA healthcare system. And, and again, a true testament to the quality of, of doctors and, and people we have taking care of our veterans out at the Minneapolis VA. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I, I thank you, Doctor, for joining us today on Minnesota Military Radio. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about how this has changed the lives of our veterans as you uh, build that caseload and uh, continue to care for and, uh, and work with our veterans. So thanks for joining Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you so much. Joining us now is the Command Senior Enlisted Leader of the Minnesota National Guard, Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper. Sergeant Major, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Hey, Doug. Great to be back. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to have you on the program. I always enjoy uh, getting the opportunity to chat with you and and uh, kind of relive some of the old experiences. And, you know, uh, looking at your your itinerary, the things you've been doing, you've been uh, pretty busy, uh, which is probably a nice change from what, uh, you know, had been experienced over the last uh, year and a half or two years. But um, I want to talk a little bit about where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. And and let's start with uh, Fort Hood. I understand that uh, you spent a little bit of time down at uh, Fort Hood along with the 34th Infantry Division's Command Sergeant Major, CSM Whitehead. That's correct. We have the 347th RSG that is uh, deploying, well, they actually have deployed by now, but deploying over to uh, Southwest Asia, and they'll be uh, essentially running mare cells or uh, running various camps within uh, Iraq, Kuwait, and into Syria. So we had an opportunity to go over and say, say uh, you know, see that the culminating training event that they were participating in. And then, uh, you know, actually we were able to promote a few soldiers and coin a whole bunch more and just be, you know, just, you know, have a good send-off for that, that unit as they departed over to uh, Southwest Asia. That's great. And that culminating training event, of course, is the thing that validates they're ready to go and ready to deploy to perform that mission. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's a key part for them being able to get out the door. So um, you recently conducted the best warrior competition for the Army side of the Minnesota National Guard, and then you hosted the Region 4 competition up at Camp Ripley as well. Uh, you had a few uh, winners coming out of that, and then I understand that you have an opportunity or had the opportunity to take those uh, soldiers, and, and now you're over in Croatia to celebrate some of that success. Absolutely. So we had uh, 21 competitors on the NCO and soldier side uh, compete at the state level out of that, and then we had three, or, I'm sorry, two competitors from Croatia that came over to Minnesota that also participated in our best uh, warrior competition and, by the way, did an incredible job. Um, out of that, we had uh, the two winners, the NCO of the year and the soldier of the year, that then went on to our regional competition that was hosted up at Camp Ripley. And uh, both our soldier and NCO of the year ended up winning that. So now they will continue on to the national competition that's being conducted in uh, Smyrna, Tennessee, uh, at the end of July. And uh, meanwhile, in between that, we uh, flew over to Croatia. So they came over here to compete in the international uh, international best soldier competition that Croatia conducts. Wow, what uh, great representation from the Minnesota National Guard once again. Soldiers from our organization obviously winning at the state level, going on to win at the region level, uh, which is multiple states coming to Minnesota to compete, and now the opportunity to go uh, compete in the entire National Guard, 54 states and territories. And, and what a better way to kind of get them uh, some additional training than bringing them to Croatia, let them experience a best warrior competition on the international side over in Croatia and an opportunity to see some of uh, that great country and spend some time with our partners. Absolutely. And I'd just like to mention their names, too. It's uh, Specialist uh, Nathaniel Miska 
and he's with the 850th uh, Horizontal Engineer Company out of, uh, I think, Little Falls, actually. And then uh, Sergeant, the NCO of the year, is uh, Sergeant Richard Carlson, who's uh, he's actually a medic out of uh, HHT, our headquarters, headquarters troop of uh, 194 CAV out of Duluth. And, you know, both are just phenomenal citizen soldiers. Uh, interesting story about Sergeant Carlson. He's going to continue on. Uh, his intent is to wrestle for the U.S. or the U.S. team in the Olympics in 2024. <laughs> so, well, that's pretty impressive uh, individual. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, we have less than 30 seconds here, and, and I know you're doing some deep planning right now, getting ready for the 2023 Enlist Association of the National Guard of the United States and planning for that big conference in Rochester next year. So I wish you the best of luck as that planning starts. And uh, I know I got a call from my, some of my old uh, partners uh, asking me to get on that board. So we'll see what happens. But, uh Sergeant Major, best of luck. Stay safe in Croatia. We appreciate you spending some time with us on Minnesota Military Radio. You bet. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for having me. And then I'll tell a story about our Minnesota National Guard soldiers. You bet. Travel safe. That was Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper. We're just about out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week. Ray Doha, Shannon Sprouse from DEED, Dr. Uzma Samadani from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System, Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper with the Minnesota National Guard, Commissioner Larry Herkey of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Please join us next week as we talk about the Veterans Bill recently passed by the Minnesota State Legislature. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Doug Wortham, and I hope that you make a difference someone's life this week. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at minnesotamilitaryradio.com.